Hey, it's Liz Kelly. One Shiny Podcast will be touring from Friday, November 2nd to Wednesday, November 7th, where Tate, Titus, and nephew Kyle are traveling to Columbus, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Bloomington, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois to tip off the college basketball season. You can find links to tickets on The Ringer's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Friday. It is October 26th. And on the line, I am joined by Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? Life is good. Wondering today, Tate Frazier, what do you think Hugh's doing today? What do you think Hugh's up to today? It's 1130 in Cleveland. What do you think? It's a lunchtime in Cleveland? What do you think? I think he's eating a club sandwich in his office. Again, probably standing in front of that same mirror, just looking at himself and saying, Hugh, you're the head coach. You love life. That's what he's doing, Lombardi. You know that. I bet he's probably watching his coordinator's press conferences and wondering if his name's going to get mentioned for being a, being a head coach. He just I think he likes to hear it. I'm happy to have you back in New Jersey. I'm happy to have you on a microphone again. Uh, I mean, people were getting upset, but you're on the road. You're you're a busy man. You're a rambling man. You're rolling all around town. You're trying to you know meet with a different big groups of people, sell this book. Uh, so don't be upset with Lombardi. We'll we'll get the quality right for the rest of the season, and uh, that's what you have to expect at GM Street. We, we need you on the road, Lombardi. We need you out there getting stories for us. Uh, Speaking of big stories, uh, last night we had Thursday Night Football. That was a little bit of sarcasm there, but we had the the Miami Dolphins and the Houston Texans, two teams that uh, have sort of frayed the line between uh, being a, a good competitive playoff team and being a team that uh, a lot of people don't have much faith in. Brock Osweiler is a guy that a lot of people don't have too much faith in uh, on this program. We call him the heist. Uh, but last night, Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans, they go for five straight, now five and three. And it looks like in Houston... Uh, things are, are trending upward, of course, and now they're, they're in charge of the AFC South. They're leading that division. And Deshaun Watson, for the first time this season, right, he looked like the Deshaun that we both uh, know and love and have seen before. Uh, you know, and you know I love him, but I, I think the sad news today is Will Fuller tore his ACL and he's out for the season, the receiver for Houston, who to me really is the guy that makes all this go. Uh, you know, Hopkins is by far a, a, a tremendous player. I've never seen guy a guy catch the ball like he did. That catch he made on that horrendous pass inter- offensive pass interference call was really, you know, it was one of the most amazing catches I've ever seen. But Will Fuller, because Hopkins is so good, Will Fuller got a lot of single coverage and he's able to use his explosive speed and his his talent as an athlete to make huge plays and them losing him, which they didn't have him early in the year because of the hamstring. I think this really affects their offense and I think it affects their their chances offensively moving down the road. I think this really hurts Watson more than anything. And we saw it last night. I mean, even in this game, it's a 0-0 game at, at this point. It's a third and one, and everyone's kind of anxious and, and waiting to see what's going to happen with this Texas Texans offense. It seemed like they were stagnant to start this game, and then it's a third and one, a quick uh, you know drag route to Will Fuller. Will Fuller takes it all the way down, and, and that offense starts to get rolling. And Deshaun Watson said last night after the game, he said, we got our swagger back today, uh, and he throws five touchdowns. He carves up that Miami Dolphins secondary, a secondary that is uh, – you know, much to be desired a lot this season, but he throws five touchdowns, only four incomplete passes. And again, they go from an 0-3 start, now they're 5-3. and And it was the first game with, with more than 40 points this season. So it did seem like that Texans offense finally found a way uh, to get things rolling. And unfortunately, Will Fuller goes down and it, it seems like uh, they're, they're, they just can never have all those guys healthy where they can have that nice number two option next to Hopkins. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And and look, Miami, I mean, Miami starts 3-0. and I never thought, you know, we talked about it this summer, Tate Frazier. I thought Miami was in line to get the first pick in the draft uh, from just watching them in the preseason. And then they win three in a row, and I'm thinking, God almighty. And then, you know, I look at DVOA, and they were the number two ranked team in, on DVOA, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, did I blow this one? I mean, like, I, I'm watching them on tape. They're no good. I don't understand how they're winning, you know, and they beat Tennessee. They beat the Jets on the road, you know, and then they 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 beat Chicago at home and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, you know, they get three and oh, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, what, what, what did I miss with this team? And then, you know, they go up to new England and they lay a flat tire and, the, and you know, now they're one and four in the last five games. And they look to me like the team that I saw this summer, not no power on defense. You can run the ball at them straight ahead, you know, and if they have to play from behind, they can't really play defense. And then offensively, the offensive line isn't good. I wasn't counting on the heist play. And I actually think the heist was played, better because all he does is throw long handoffs. I mean, the offense is Kansas City's offense. They just adapted it to fit Miami and losing Albert Wilson and some of those players. But I think Miami is not a very good team. I think Houston had a great win, and I feel bad they lost Will Fuller. And I will say the heist last night, I was very impressed. Yeah, I think he completed the first pass where it looked like it was going to be a perfect interception. It hits another player on the Texans defense, and then the ball shoots forward 20 yards. And I don't know if it was a target or not, but it ends up uh, working out well for the Dolphins. So that was probably the highlight play for the heist last night. I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, just as far as gamesmanship and what these coaches are up to. It, it was a stark contrast between what we saw from Bill O'Brien, a guy who was very conservative, a guy that uh, <laughs> he plays by the rules 100%. You know, Buddy Ryan would be very happy with the way Bill O'Brien runs a game. If it's fourth and inches, we're punting. Uh, we're playing field position. Uh, we're playing conservative. We'll keep games tight. But at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're trying to win close games by by doing the little things as far as controlling field position and, and the things of that nature. But then you look at Gase on the other side, a, a guy that goes for an onside kick, a guy that's trying to do uh, some different things, which is more in line with what we've seen. You talked about the Chiefs with the Doug Peterson type, you know, the guys that will go for it on fourth and five. So I thought it was interesting last night to see those two guys. And obviously the Dolphins, they weren't beating themselves early in the season. And it seems like Gase now knows that they have to do some, some, some trickery, some chicanery to try to win some of these games games because they're behind the eight ball already. Um, but it, does it hurt the Texans to have a guy like Bill O'Brien be so conservative? That was just one note I took away from that game. You know, I think I think he he is. I, I think probably maybe in, in fairness to Bill, maybe he's being conservative because he knew he wasn't very good, especially on defense at the beginning of the year. Had a lot of injuries on defense, still do. I mean, their secondary is atrocious right now. I mean, they're having a hard time with it. So, you know, going forward on that fourth and one, I thought was the right call to make at that time. I mean, look, I don't think Miami with Brock Osweiler is going to threaten you. I think when you're backed up like that, when you have it fourth and goal at the one and you're going in, I think the, the question is, there's two questions you have to ask yourself. What's the best play we can run? What's our best two-point play we can run? That's A. And B, what's, what does the offense typically like to do when they have to come out? from there. You know, so what what happens is the offense only has four or five plays when they're backed up. You know, they they'll run it they'll run an inside run, they'll throw a nine route. They don't run their whole offense. I mean, only Sean Payton and the Patriots run their offense down there. Not no very few teams will run their whole offense. And so you combine that with knowing that you can pin them back. And if we don't score, you know, we're going to hold them and then we're going to get the ball back. We're going to get field position. So we're just going to keep wearing them down. And I think O'Brien finally got to that point where he was uh, on last night on Thursday, and he was able to do that, and it, it worked out for him. I'm not sure he's ever going to be a true uh, gambler because I think he likes to play the conservative number, and I think it, he feels more comfortable in that arena. And it does seem like uh, just looking at the sideline, you know, as much as uh, 
you know, that's all conjecture at this point. But but just seeing, like, even Deshaun Jackson, they go down, they score that first touchdown. He's on the sideline with his tablet. And, you know, Bill O'Brien's going over to guys, hugging guys. It, it seemed like, you know, this Texans team, for whatever it's worth, I mean, last season seemed to, to stick in people's minds. But they have had a winning record, you know, five of the last seven seasons. Uh, Bill O'Brien seems to, you know, obviously we know that they have their quarterback in Deshaun Watson. They have a supreme talent in uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And one note I want to ask you about Hopkins quickly before we get to, this is the Friday sit-down. We're going to get to the five games that Lombardi has for this week. But uh, before the, the the game this week, people were pointing out that DeAndre Hopkins uh, pushes off a lot. Um, and that was in the press. And, you know, but, but he kind of works himself like a basketball player. So last night he gets that bad pass interference call. And do you think that a lot of that comes out from people pointing that out? So now officials were, I mean, the officials last night were very bad uh, just across the board. Yeah, I mean, I thought that's one of the worst crews. You know what's interesting, Tate Frazier? I wonder this. I wonder, this is the first time I've ever heard of an official getting fired in uh, during the season. And I just wonder. Uh, this is just a wonder. Nobody's told me this. This is just a stream of consciousness. I wonder now that legalized gambling is in place. I wonder if the NFL has like a zero tolerance rule for these officials because maybe they're concerned that they could be, you know, somebody could be in their ear or something like that. And so they're not going to tolerate bad performances. I don't know. I'm just guessing on that. I have no idea. But to me, I've never heard of an official getting fired in season. And last night, that crew, they all should have been fired. They were really bad. I mean, that call on the, on the long snapper was, a, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're grading things they don't see. And so they're, they're making judgments of things they don't, they think they see it, but they really don't see it. They think he pushed off, but he didn't. They think they hit the, they hit him below the neck into the head area, but he really didn't. And when you start calling games like because you think, not because you see, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's a horrible case. I thought that was a bad crew, but I wonder how, you know, nobody wants to talk about gambling in the NFL. Nobody wants to have this conversation, but I wonder if that is really playing a factor in some of these decisions, you know, because look, let's face it, you know, people worried about the players. I mean, player, no player can really, other than a quarterback can control, but officials, you know, that, that, that certainly can be. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything here, not at all. I'm just saying, I wonder if that has any of subliminal effect on some of these decisions they're making. Anticipation is uh, very important to the players that are on the field in any sort of sport, but uh, not something that you want to see from your officials. So that is something to keep in mind. It did seem like they had a, a plan or a, they went into that game thinking we need to keep an eye on Hopkins and and, and make some of these calls. And then it, it ended up affecting the game overall. And I, th- I think if anything, if you're the NFL and you're looking at it from an objective standpoint, just from the viewer uh, watching a football game. That is not how you want things to play out because, like you said, then you get into the weeds of people taking the next step and saying, hey, you know, get the, get the conspiracy, you know, section of the world and say, well, what's going on with this? Right, and I agree. Like, I think you'd be, they'd be better off if they, why would they announce they fire the official? Like, I just, mm-hmm. just don't assign them to games. Nobody's going to know, right? Like, just let that thing slide out. Now, all the conspiracy theories start to come out. Is it, what did they do this? Is something going wrong? Who, you know, and I'm not accusing anybody of any wrongdoing whatsoever. None. I'm just saying it creates a conspiracist theory out there that shouldn't exist. And I think they'd be better off just to wait to the end of the year. Look, if it's like anything, I mean, if Mike McCoy is good enough to be the offensive coordinator and you hire him after an extensive interview, Steve Wilkes, 
Brooks does, after three weeks, you're going to fire the guy? I mean, really, at some point, that, that that's more a reflection on you than it is Mike McCoy. Same thing with these officials. Yeah, and we'll see what happens with this. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is PR. You know, the NFL is trying to get in front of a lot of these things because if you just did it from a social, like if you just went to Twitter last night and you just looked up what was happening in the game, a lot of people do this. They don't even watch football. They just watch Twitter. Uh, people were freaking out about the officials. That was the main talking point. And that's, <laughs> that's the worst thing you want to see uh, when you have bigger storylines like, you know, uh, a supreme talent like DeAndre Hopkins or Jadavion Clowney or the story of Adam Gase and him saying that he has to reevaluate everyone on this Dolphins team or the comedy of Brock Osweiler. Those should be the things that uh, that, that steer the conversation, not not the officials. And it's funny, Gase did all this evaluation. I mean, he's already made this statement. That's the reason he got rid of Jarvis Landry. That's the reason he got rid of uh, of some of the players here, of Sue and those guys that he got rid of last year. Now, to me, I thought Parker, Devontae Parker, looked like a legitimate NFL receiver. Like, if they want to trade him, you know, I could see teams saying, okay, look, I understand his durability is a problem. Maybe his toughness is a problem as well because he doesn't play hurt. I don't know. I don't know. I'm making that up. I'm just saying that could be an issue. But to me, he looks like a bona fide receiver. I mean, he looks like he could go fill in for some team and really give him a threat on the outside. He looks like a, a, a guy that can make plays. And I wonder if now that he's exposed himself a little bit, if that's going to come out and they're going to be able to actually get something for him. Can I give a, a an option? I mean, I guess I'm just going to pitch this team every time there's a trade potential, but could the New Orleans Saints get in that market and maybe try to lowball him and, and get a number two guy next to Michael Thomas and then you have real two real threats on the outside? I mean, we know that they're go- going all in for the Drew Brees era. Uh, but they have traded a lot of picks. I could see Philly going for Parker. I could see Philly. Philly mm. needs a Philly needs a receiver. I mean, Philly. When you look at Philadelphia's numbers, and you examine them from last year to this year, you know they had Kenny. They, they had Torrey Smith, who gave them an outside presence. I mean, uh, Nelson Aguilar is down like from eleven yards a catch last year to eight this year. Even Zach Ertz is down in yardage in terms of catches this year, in terms of yards per catch. It's affected all their receivers. They're not making those explosive plays down the field because they don't have anybody to really take the top off the defense and people are squatting. So I, I think that, you know, I think Parker, with that showing on Thursday night, I think if the Dolphins are serious about trading him, which I think they are, I think they'll get value for him. Yeah, he helped his market a little bit there. And then uh, Matt Collins is a guy also with the Eagles that, that went out this season, and he was able to to give them another threat as a rookie last year to take the top off. I apologize. I, I love Matt Collins. <laughs> I apologize. I love Matt Collins, too. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back, and Lombardi's going to give you the five games that he has marked this week to watch out for. Again, this is the Friday sit-down. Quick break. Today's GM Street is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are a ton of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. And Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell those unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you've got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they think you'll love. And they even give short profiles of each hotel, complete with all the info you need and pictures of what the rooms really look like. Plus, even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can also book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, a pool, and more. Uh, Hotel Tonight, I'm sure that Mark Titus and I, we're going to go on tour. We're going to be in the Midwest. I'm sure we're going to use Hotel Tonight to find some places to stay, or we may just sleep in our car. We'll see what happens. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And we're also brought to you by G Suite. G Suite is a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. 
These tools improve your work life, both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create, hence their new campaign. Make it with G Suite. You know when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled final and no clue which is the latest, so you make another version and name that one final final, right? Well, with G Suite by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of a version after version of a project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. To find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. That's gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. Back to GM Street. All right, and we are back. This is the Friday sit-down where Michael Lombardi comes on here and he picks uh, five games to watch out for this week. Uh, The first game that we have on the docket, a a team that escaped last week with a 59-yard field goal. Jameis Winston got a nice win uh, in in his return, trying to get back, uh, trying to get the Buccaneers back to to a respectable level. They had a nice hot start with uh, Fitzmagic. We all forget that that did happen, but it was a lot of fun. And now the Buccaneers are going to go up to Cincinnati this week. The Bengals are, uh, I'm just going to call them Cincinnati, Lombardi. A lot of people have been tweeting at me. They're upset at how I pronounce Bengals. Bengals, uh, Bengals, whatever, how, <laughs> however you want to pronounce it. I'm going to call them Cincinnati moving forward. The second Queen City. Nobody's worse um, with names the- than I am, Tate, little Jimmy. <laughs> nobody's worse than I am. Okay, so I'll take all the heat on bad pronunciation. I mean, you know, there's nobody worse than I am. You know, Tate Frazier, this game's about the Bengals last week was the first time Again, Hugh, that maybe this is why Hugh wants to take over the play calling. Do you think Hugh's finished that club sandwich yet? You no. know, I, maybe he's bound to something else. God, no. Anyway, the first That's time, an hour and a half process. First time they've held a team to under 400 yards of offense this year. I mean, that's the first time they played more man coverage this week. They can't do that this week. If they try to play man coverage against Tampa's, against Cincinnati's receivers, they won't play well. Cincy, to me, this is all about them playing at home. I think their defense plays much better at home. I'm not big on Cincinnati, on Tampa Bay. I think they're an unorganized group. I think there's no structure down there. And I think the first thing that goes wrong, I think it all falls apart for them. And we saw Mike Smith get fired, and then the Buccaneers' defense seemed to respond a little bit last week. You said, you know, keeping a team under 400 yards. Um, and then the Bengals are, are favored by four in this game. And the, the only hope that you can have if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, right, is that Jameis, he he has a game where he he can really, you know, try to exploit the secondary for Cincinnati, right, with being able to pass the ball. That's the best-case scenario? No doubt. But I think they're going to have a hard time blocking Geno Atkins. I think they're going to have a hard time blocking Carlos Dunlap. And I think Jameis Winston, the turnover machine, will show up more than Jameis Winston, the touchdown machine. And we'll see if, uh, you know, that Cincinnati defense can bounce back uh, after last week and, and getting shellacked by uh, the, the Kansas City Chiefs and that high-powered offense. So it, we'll, we'll see if they can bounce back in Cincinnati. We're, we're going we're gonna to work that out. And again, I apologize to all the, the Bengals fans out there. I, it's not offense to you guys. It's all right, little Jimmy. The Don't next worry. Game that, I, will, I, will not, I will not worry. Uh, the next game that we have, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, who were favored by two in this game, traveling down to take on the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers last week, of course, came back and got that uh, 21-17 win over the Eagles after being down 17-0 heading into the fourth quarter. Um, a lot of people in this game have been back and forth. I've, I've heard you know uh, teams think that the, this Ravens defense will you know do well to handle Cam Newton. Eric Weddle came out this week and called Cam Newton the dinosaur. I, I think that's a flattering comment, I'm, I, I believe. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. The best part, Lombardi, is that Cam Newton said that other people have called him a dinosaur because uh, they've never seen anything like it. And again, I, lo- I love Cameron Newton, but I don't think I don't know how true that is. I, someone should have followed up. But but I'll leave it at that. I'll, that's my quarterback. I'll leave it at that. Uh, what do you see in this one? 
You know, this is an interesting. I, I'm shocked that the how are the Ravens favored in this game? I mean, that means if they played this game in Baltimore, the Ravens would be a five point favorite. Like, I don't understand that. And, and you know, I could be way wrong on. I think Carolina's really improved. They gave up a bunch of yards in the first three quarters to the Eagles. The Eagles are a much better offense than the Ravens are. Joe Flacco on the road. I know they beat. I know they beat Pittsburgh on the road. I know they played uh, Tennessee well on the road. But I mean, I still remember they lost of the Browns in overtime on the road and there's Joe Flacco has t- has trouble with certain schemes and certain defenses and I think this defense of Carolina will give him some trouble and I think Cameron Newton is really a good player and he's playing at a high level and, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens match up and the Ravens have done a great job in the second half I've, they've given up very few points I think 24 points in the in the second 27 points in the second half all year and you know I, I think this will be a hard fought game I just don't understand how the Ravens are the favorite here I think this is a pick'em game. That's why I'm going with Carolina. I think Carolina has a chance. They, they both have good kickers. Graham Gano is much better at home. Tucker, I doubt if he'll miss another extra point for the next 30 years. Hmm. So I, I I think this is one of those games where it comes down to what quarterback do you like the best? And I like and I like Cameron much better than I like Joe Flacco. And I think that the this defense of the Panthers will create problems for Flacco. Though he'll rush the passer. And it does seem like uh, going into the game, it's been very funny if you've kept up with the media scrum between both teams. It's been a uh, a back and forth of compliments. They keep saying, you know, Ron Rivera keeps saying, I, I would love to have a foundation of a defense like what the Baltimore Ravens have. And then you hear from the Ravens side and they're like, I, you know, we really appreciate the talent and the uniqueness of what this Panthers offense is. So that, that kind of throws me for a loop a little bit sometimes when both teams are, are saying so many nice things about each other. But I guess, you know, when you're in the AFC and the NFC and you don't see each other too often you know it's nice to say nice things especially when you're close I just don't understand like Flacco is one of the worst quarterbacks when you blitz him (laughs) last week they didn't blitz him you know and so I mean last week he he wasn't himself he doesn't average the Tennessee didn't blitz him at all I mean New Orleans did and they kind of got their way a little bit and they made some plays but for the most part like I don't understand the Ravens on the road and Flacco on the road when you look at these numbers I think they're 14 and 28 on the road I mean they're sub 500 way below 500 on the road and so like, I, I don't understand where this cachet is being attached to them. Look, I think they're great on defense. I think Wink Martindale has done a great job defensively. He came in for Dean Peace. They're, they're way better. They're organized. They, they can attack. They're much better in two-minute drill. I think he's done a great job. I think Wink, I love Wink to death. I think he could be a head coaching candidate. Hmm. in the NFL this offseason. But the reality of it is, is I still go back to the Ravens offense and Flacco. And to me, I'm going Cam Newton here. And the last time the Ravens did play the Panthers was in 2014. Uh, a, a different Joe Flacco at the time, but they did beat the Panthers 38-10. to 10. Uh, That is one thing to keep in mind. Next game that we have, we have the Cleveland Browns uh, going and traveling to Pittsburgh, the Steel City, to take on the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers are favored in this game by eight points. We all remember uh, the Browns and the Steelers opening the season up with that uh, rousing overtime tie. Uh, that got everyone so excited about the Cleveland Browns and what was to come for this season for Hugh. Um, looking at this one, Lombardi, is this a revenge game for the Steelers? Do you think they write the ship here and get a nice one over the Browns? Or Todd Haley came out and he said that uh, Baker has to be ready and try to strike fast because this offense uh, needs to get a lead early. Yeah, they have to play from in front. I think there's no doubt about it. I think when you look at it, uh, 
you know, when you look at Mayfield's numbers, his ability to throw the ball down the field, it's been shrinking since the Jet game dramatically. Now, the kid has a ton of drops. I'm not blaming Mayfield. I think Mayfield's a really good player, has a ton of drops. I think their offense, I think this offensive tackles for the, the, the Browns have been a problem, especially the left tackle. Starting a rookie free agent over at left tackle has been a problem. Look, TJ, they had six sacks the last time. I mean, this is a game where typical of the Browns, they had, they, had, they won the turnover battle by plus five, I think, the last time they played them, and it was a tie. So, you know, I could see why the line's so high. You know, where are these Steelers coming back? Where will they be defensively? I think this is a hard game for the Browns. I don't think the Browns will win. I do think there's a chance here that the Browns could cover, though for me, at the end of the day, I like the Steelers. I think the Steelers will cover. I think there could be a backdoor cover by the Browns, but if I'm going to play this one, I'm going to play it that I think the, the Steelers will win, I think, and I think the Steelers will cover because I think Ben and this offense will get going, and I think this is the time to do it. I do feel bad uh, for Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't know if you saw this, Lombardi. He came out and he said that he bought uh, a ton of Mega Ball tickets because he wanted to get uh, some money to pay Le'Veon to come back. And unfortunately, he did not win, so Le'Veon is still out at this point. But I, I do like the teamwork there. I like the idea from Juju. And once I saw that, I, I believed that the Steelers were going to get a nice win over the Browns. Yep, I do. I agree. I, I like it, Say Frazier. I like it. Next game that we have, it is. this is the game of the week, probably. This is Sunday Night Football, uh, a game that we all remember from the playoffs. Stephon Diggs, of course, the uh, the Hail Mary that that went around the world. Uh, we have the New Orleans Saints traveling up to the Vikings. This is a pick em. Uh, We have Kirk Cousins, obviously, taking on Drew Brees. And this is the class of the NFC at this point. A lot of teams uh, outside of the Rams, a lot of teams think that the Saints and the Vikings will will be uh, you know, re- you know worth reckoning with at the end of the year. And just looking at what the Vikings have been able to do and get some guys back, get some guys healthy, um, their defense is bounced back a little bit. And of course, the Saints are the Saints and they continue to, uh, to play at a high level. Yeah, I mean, this is a great game. I think the only reason I like Minnesota and the pick them in this is because they're playing at home. I think the Saints have played better each week, especially on defense. Minnesota has only converted, has only allowed five third down conversions in the last three weeks. And the Saints are the number two team in the NFL in Canadian football. They get first downs on two downs so often. So I think that's going to have to be their, their mindset. But I think the difference in this game is Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins will score enough. He'll keep the tempo up and I think he'll take advantage of it. And then the crowd noise will help Minnesota. Minnesota. I like Minnesota in the game. I still love the Saints as a team, but I think this is the kind of game for the Saints need to play in to really get themselves ready for the postseason. This will toughen them up. This will make them a better team in the long run. I just think Minnesota on this day will be the better team. I agree with that, Lombardi. I think that, that that's a home field advantage game. I do like what this Minnesota team will do. It and, is. And, and and do you think there will be a fallout? Because I think so many people have bought into the Saints at this point. Uh, if they do you know, go to Minnesota, Minnesota shows up, has a nice win. Do you think people will sort of change their tide on the Saints or is everyone? I, I feel like that won't happen, but we're so fickle these days. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. But I think this, I think the Saints are a good team. I think they need this kind of game. I think they need to play against the team that's offensively has been this Minnesota can do this. I think they're going to need to keep doing this because the more you do this, the better you become. It, this is like, you know, when you play those better teams, you play a good team, you know, college football does it. You play a good team early in college football. It helps you raise the bar for where you're going. And I think they will. And the perfect example of that is Michigan right now because they played Notre Dame early in the season, got a nice test, and now you can see that their defense is 
almost mirrored uh, the defense of Notre Dame and what we saw early in the year. Uh, the final game of the week, we have, this is the first time this has happened since 1983. We have two Cal quarterbacks facing off. Of course, Jared Goff with the the undefeated Los Angeles Rams and Aaron Rodgers, uh, the poster boy of the NFL. Um, the Rams are trying to go 8-0. We're going to see what happens. This is the first time since Ferragamo and Barkowski, Lombardi year guys, 1983 face each other. I love it. Take face. You remember that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Hey, look, I, uh, I remember like it was yesterday. Hey, the, here's the thing. It's interesting. You know, I like the Packers. I like the eight points. I'll take Aaron Rodgers at nine points any day of the week. I think that's a no brainer. I, I hate the Packers defense. They've given up over and I can't throw the Buffalo game out, but they give up average 31 points. You know, do I think the Packers will win the game? Probably not, but I think they should cover by nine. I think Aaron Rodgers will move the ball effectively. I think this could be a little bit of a track meet. I don't think the Rams necessarily have a home field advantage. When you come back off of three road wins, you kind of have like, okay, I think Rodgers can make some plays. I think he's healthy coming off the bye week. I think this is the this statement game for Rodgers to let people know he's still the MVP candidate in the National Football League. I don't know if they can win the game, but I think they can keep this game close, and I like Green Bay. By the points. And this seems... Not, not by, by the not points. By, yeah. by the points. Not money line. By the points. I, I do think that this is a game where it, it'll be a shootout for sure. Um, we talked about McVay so many times on this program, but before the week, he was giving Mike McCarthy uh, all the praise in the world, talking about how great of a job he's done uh, with that Packers team. But I, I think that's all a smokescreen for, we know Sean McVay is going to exploit and attack that Green Bay Packers defense as much as he can. So it'll it'll be fun to watch for sure. I mean, but here's the thing, though. If you like the Rams to cover, okay, the Packers have only scored, in since 2013, the Packers have only scored over 40 points one time in Aaron Rodgers' career. They've Mm -hmm. only scored over 30 10 times on the road in Aaron Rodgers' career since 2013. Okay, so if you like the Rams to, to, to win the game and you think they can cover... What you're saying is this game's going to be, you know, this game's going to be 35 to 24 type of game. We know the Rams are going to score 30. Now, we know the Packers aren't going to score 40 because that's typically history tells us they haven't been able to do that very often on the road. Mm -hmm. So that's why I kind of like the game to be a little closer uh, than the nine points. And that's kind of where I am on that. And those are the five games that we have for the week, Lombardi. Uh, you can go ahead and lock those in. One more thing before we move on and throw it over to the fantasy guys. It is the trade deadline that's coming up on Tuesday, October 30th. There's been some some swirling rumors about different guys. Uh, obviously, it came out. We talked about this a little bit on Tuesday that, you know, at one point, Patrick Peterson was asking for a trade, and then he recanted on that and said that wasn't the case. Um, you mentioned earlier that Devontae Parker could be a guy as a receiver that could pop up. Uh, and you mentioned the Eagles. Another guy I want to mention for the Eagles that could be a name that could get thrown out there, uh, Demarius Thomas. He was rumored to be on the trade block coming out of Denver. Is there a chance that the Eagles could take a, you know, try to go after a guy like Demarius Thomas? Or, or, or will, we see, will we see any big splash, do you think, before the trade deadline on Tuesday? I would be shocked, but I wrote a column today for The Athletic. I've never seen the NFL like this, Tate Frazier, where there's literally five teams with no chance. Like mm-hmm. five teams are already working on 2019. You know, the Ran- the, the, the 49ers, the Bills, the, the Cardinals, the Raiders, the Raiders and the Raiders are 2029. Yeah, they're already working on that. So, you know, like who knows? I think they all have potential players that they could trade. So I think with five teams at the trading deadline, with so many people looking for them, I think that we could see some trades, and I, and I think that's what's going to really. I think, look, look, if Denver loses in Kansas City, which I expect them to do, I think Denver knows their season's over with, and they move forward and go from there. 
Is there a chance that we see, so say, let's say Denver loses that game. If you have a guy like Shane Ray, you already have Chubb, you already have Miller. Do you put him on the market? I mean, there's a lot of teams that need a pass rusher to come in and maybe give them a chance. I definitely think if you can do that, I definitely think you got to do it. We'll keep an eye on all that stuff uh, heading into week eight. We appreciate everyone listening as always. Lock in those five games uh, heading into Sunday. We're excited for the London game. We didn't even mention that, but the London game, we get to see Blake Bortles. Blake, he's back. <laughs> he's back. I love it. He's back. He's in London. I love it. He's already, I bet he's a hit. I bet there'll be more Blake Bortles jerseys in that stadium than there will be in Jacksonville. When do you think Blake Bortles gets knighted, Lombardi? That's the question. 2029? I think I think Elton John will present him Sir Sir Blake Bortles. I think there's no doubt. Sir Perfect. Blake Bortles. Perfect. Sir Can't Nick Faldo, Sir Blake Bortles. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Well, this has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you, Lombardi. Thanks, Dave Frazier. We will be back on Tuesday to give you all of our thoughts on week eight. We'll talk about if anything happens as far as the trade deadline. Uh, coming up now, we got the fantasy football guys to give you all the scoop on all things fantasy football. But first, we're going to get a word from our sponsor, my bookie. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Shout out to the parlay kid. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn 100 into 600. There's so much to bet on. You got the World Series. You got the NBA. You got the NHL. I mean, you got the NFL, right? That's what we're talking about. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Plus, they've given away nearly $10,000. $10,000 in free money to their social media follower. Wow. I need to follow them. To their social media followers this football season, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter or Instagram and log on to MyBookie right now using the promo code RINGERNFL for your last chance to get your first deposit matched 100%. It's time to make your move. After Sunday's kickoff, you can kiss that bonus goodbye. That's promo code RINGERNFL to get your first deposit matched 100%. And now, here's some last-second fantasy football advice from the Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and co-Danny, Danny Kelly. What is up, DK? Not much. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. We're also joined by producers Jim and full-time Craig. How are you guys doing? Both Craig and I really care about Jim. I'm great. Thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Um, we're going to give you guys some last-second fantasy advice heading into the weekend. Uh, the Falcons, Cowboys, Chargers, and Titans are on the bye this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to run through some bench guys. Maybe you're thinking about plugging into your lineup, but you're not sure and you're on the fence about we don't know your teams quite as well as you guys, but we have a thoughts. Um, yeah. So we're just going to run through some names, DK. How's that sound? Yeah. Who's your first guy? First one I think that's real prevalent this week is the Raiders running backs after Marshall Lynch yep. got put on IR. So you've got Jalen Richard. They tell me it is not Richard. And Doug Martin. Uh, <laughs> this is actually one of the more classic. Martin's more the runner and Jalen Richard's more like yeah. the pass catching back. Um, I think we there's a, a fairly... Light consensus, like Arrested Development, Light Treason. There's like a light consensus that Rashard's like the better back um, to own. I am totally with that for the rest of the season and this week. I think Martin maybe he's washed up. Or Sorry, that's going to get bleeped by Jim. We're not allowed to call players washed. Uh, oh, Richard, you said washed, said washed up, up. That was good. Oh, there, oh perfect. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Martin might washed. be washed up. If he has any productivity, I want to find that out on the bench. I don't want to risk that in my lineup. I think Rashard's going to be really good. He's been pretty safe. He gets a lot of targets and dump-offs from Derek Carr. And they had the buy, so I think that they're gonna they're coming off the buy, so I think they're gonna be able to incorporate him more seamlessly into the lineup than a regular just guy gets hurt and they plug him in. Um, I think Richard has a pretty high floor and also great odds yeah. for a touchdown. So like him more this week, like him more going forward. Yeah, I mean he's good for like six targets a game. At, you know, if especially if they're losing, the Colts' offense has been good. Uh, the Ra- the Raiders have just been 
atrocious on both sides of the ball lately. And so I'm with you. You don't you're not buying into what Gruden's saying about um about Martin being a feature back. Uh I look at what John Gruden <laughs> does and not what he says. Yeah, yeah. Although I think he's a good GM. Hot take. I hear you. Uh yeah, so we're both in on Jalen and out on Doug. And what yep. about you, DK? Next trade, weird situation, playing time thing. Yeah, so obviously with Carlos Hyde going to the Jaguars this, this week is going to be kind of interesting to see how they split up the carries. He's he's back at practice and all that. Um, TJ Yeldon had to this point been the overall running back nine. You know, he's been quietly a top ten running back in, the, in in fantasy this year and so far. But I think his you know his value takes a huge hit with Hyde coming in. I think you know um, they want Hyde to be the Fournette sort of proximity type thing, like the hammer, I think I saw someone use that term, um, that, that type of running back in their offense. So he's going to get a lot of volume, I think, still. Um, I'm talking about Hyde now. And at least until Fournette gets back, I think Hyde is kind of the bankable guy in this offense. I, I'm out on it. I'm out on Yeldon. Um, until we see something that tells us like he's, he's actually startable in fantasy, I just think you know he, he's just not going to be a big enough part of the offense at this point. Well, I, I actually... Deeply disagree with you. I okay. I can see Hyde being productive, but I need to see that from him. I have no idea what they envisioned for him. or I don't even totally understand why they traded him yet or what they're envisioning as his role, but I want to see how they're using him before I'm confident enough to plug him in. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, if you own Hyde, this kind of sucks, I think. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but, I do. He was. Uh, he, I had quite a few shares of him this year, and it sucks because I think for a while right now, obviously there's a big question mark on like what he's going to be. And as you were saying, and then going forward, when Frenette gets back, he's probably going to be a backup. So he's kind of just at, at this point, he's a question mark, and then he becomes somewhat like unstartable down the down the stretch potentially. So unless high, unless Fournette goes on IR or something, which could be the reason they made that trade, I'd say there's a question mark about what all of us are going to be. But that's just me. Deep. Next, that's very oh, deep. Thanks, man. Next, really weird playing time situation: the Green Bay Packers also coming off of a bye, like the Raiders. Uh, so this is just looking at Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Ty Montgomery. They're going against the Rams this week. Mm-hmm. Another light lowercase C consensus: Aaron Jones is the best running back in this backfield. That includes Aaron Rodgers, who said when they uh, yeah. played Monday Night Football, uh, <laughs> he said after the game, "We still got a ways to go in the run game." Per their Packers team website, Rogers said, "We got to keep finding ways to get the ball to number thirty-three in space. Thirty-three is Aaron Jones, but he's getting the least amount of carries every week, or sorry, the least amount of uh, snaps every week, including yeah. the last time they played." My prediction, I th- I think and hope, maybe this is just blind hope that they're using the bye to make Jones and install him uh, to be not maybe not the feature back, but he's going to get the most touches. I yeah. think I were I try to gamble on him this week in your lineup. I would definitely try to trade for him honestly before he plays. I think there's a chance he breaks out. Um, I, I love him. I'm not sure about Williams. I think Ty Montgomery might have value regardless going forward, but I think Aaron Jones could be the top ten guy going forward if he gets the job this week, and I'm optimistic he does. So I'm in. Yeah. He's one of those. He's one of the most frustrating fantasy players, I think, in the NFL right now, just because he's so much clearly better than, than the other two guys in that backfield. I mean, he's like explosive. And as and, as full time yeah. Craig noted, um, Scott Barrett at Pro Football Focus, among all fifty nine running backs with uh, more than hundred carries over the past two years, Aaron Jones leads the league in yards per carry average at five point six, while Jamal Williams is twelfth worst at three point six eight. It's just like such a perfect microcosm for the for the Packers offense. Just like Mike McCarthy, just completely ignoring like what his team does best. Uh, yeah, it's frustrating as hell. But um, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I, like I'm highest on Jones. I'm out on Williams and, and Montgomery um, until you know otherwise. But 
I think Jones is a shaky flex option, and and you know if you need to start a guy, he's he's definitely an option. He just does so much with all his touches. Staying in this game, though, do you have thoughts on the Packers receiving core, DK? Yeah, so obviously with Cobb and Allison coming back, it kind of puts Marquez Valdez-Scantling um, on the bubble in terms of playing time. He, he'd been pretty good um, you know, in relief for those two guys as those guys fought through injuries. Uh, going forward, who knows what the rotation is going to be. I'm starting Cobb in one league this week just based on his his uh, target production early on in the season. Obviously, um, Went off week one, had a bunch of targets in week two and three, but didn't really do much with them. I just think, you know, if, if he and he's back in practice right now, and it sounds like both him and Allison are going to be good to go for the week. This is as of Thursday afternoon. So I'm I'm out on Scantling, Valdez Scantling for now until we kind of figure out what the rotation is. I'm actually kind of in on Cobb and Allison. Yeah, I mean, if they play, I'm definitely in on Geronimo and Cobb. We'll see. Right. But right. The Packers, kind of like the Rams, it's like whoever steps into that third receiver role is going to be able to put some, put up some numbers of some kind. So on the flip side, someone I'm no longer optimistic about. I'm very sad about this. Yeah. Larry Fitz, man. Had his, I think his best game of the season last week. He got a really, really sad garbage time touchdown in this destruction. <laughs> and like it's his best, and it sealed his best game of the year. And all I could think was, holy, like, oh my God, man. It's, it's just sad. Put him out to pasture. So there were two stats I saw this week that kind of solidified it for me. Uh, after the eye test too. Matt Harmon on Twitter wrote that um, per uh, Warren Sharp, Sharp Football's uh, website, 19% of Josh Rosen's passes have gone to the short middle of the field, but and 63% of David Johnson's carries have gone right up the middle, um, which kind of solidifies what we've been talking about a lot this year of how the Cardinals are very uncreative about shaping the geometry of the defense and they really right. aren't really targeting places that are valuable and really inefficient places to target. You know, the want to pass through the middle of the field a lot, maybe get your great players out in space and uh, your running backs and right. doing the opposite yeah. of that. The other really concerning ones, John Ledyard uh, on Twitter pointed out uh, from pro football focus numbers, Josh Rosen's getting rid of the football two and a half seconds or less, uh, nearly six and 10 times. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the fourth quickest among starting quarterbacks, but he's still under more pressure on his dropbacks than anyone in the league other than Deshaun. So he's getting <laughs> the ball out top five quick, but is still the second yeah. most pressured. Um, it's really hard to get Larry Fitz or anyone the ball with those numbers. And if you watch it, you see Larry Fitz is open and the ball is just selling over him because he's constantly running for his life. So it's hard to believe that anyone on the Cardinals um, super out on the Cardinals. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I will say I'm, I'm out on Fitz and Christian Kirk for now. Um, kind of just, I got those guys kind of sitting on my bench at the moment. But going forward, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with uh, Brian Lefferich. Obviously, you know, McCoy's been fired. Yeah, and his really, really like just inexplicable, um, I guess strategies in the first half of this, half of the year. I think maybe that will change now, and maybe they'll actually start to do like what Arians was doing a little bit more. Uh, I think Rosen is is up to pass the ball down the field. I mean, he's a good he's a good passer. His well, his um, average depth target's been really high. He's pushing it down the field. I think they can do that. Arian style air attack. I mean, maybe not. Obviously, not to the, to the efficiency that they were doing a couple of years ago because it's just totally different team not to, now. But not to belabor the draw this one out too much. But I think in a nutshell, I think their offensive line is so bad. It's clear that it's hard enough to run a super deep downfield uh, attacking pass offense. Yeah, uh, with a deep average depth of target. When you have a good offensive line and a rookie quarterback, when you have a terrible offensive line who's constantly under pressure, it's like impossible. So I'm not surprised that it's been really hard for them. So I'm yeah. not optimistic about deep more deep shots. Um, but moving on from lightning round, which was not so lightning, um, stash city, uh, the trade deadline is on Tuesday at four Eastern. 
Uh, it's really active, which there's, I'm sure a lot of great stuff from Kevin Clark and Robert Mays on the ringer.com. Uh, great website about why the trade deadline's more active than ever. But we figured that there's, if you have an extra bench spot, there's a few players that might be way more valuable on Tuesday than they are right now, just based on trades. So yeah. wanted to run through them quickly. One is Chris Ivory. I think he's owned in like 15-ish percent of leagues, basically. McCoy is, on, Sean McCoy's on the trade block. Uh, he had a, he's in the concussion protocol uh, and had an ankle injury, so that might hurt his trade value, but that also makes him a little more valuable just as a fantasy asset. But if McCoy gets dealt, Chris Ivory's a really good add. Um, he has not been known, I don't, I don't think, as a pass catcher, but he did some pass catching the last couple mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah. So I think he's someone that could just magically get a starting job. The flip side of that, also Cortland Sutton, uh, who's going against the Chiefs this week, is the Broncos' rookie second round or 40th, I think, overall. Craig can check Something on that. Something like that, Out yeah. of um, SMU, Demi- uh, Demarius Thomas just out and said that his time is running out. They have He's a huge cap at next year. It's 40th like seven, pick. 40th, mm-hmm. there it is, boom. See, my memory's not completely gone. A lot of people uh, <laughs> thought he'd be a first-rounder. Yeah. yeah. So Damaris Thomas, I think, $17 million cap hit uh, next year. He's very likely going to be traded, and I would say that Sutton has a really great profile for the second half of the season in that case, so he's another guy I would probably add. Flyer is Trenton Cannon, who, what what a great name. Who? We're putting him on the name shortlist. Uh, <laughs> he's the guy who's the heir to the Bilal Powell role in the Jets. Offense, maybe. Who knows if he'll actually how much of that he can actually take on? But how how attractive is that either? The heir to the Bilal Pal. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man! Bilal you know Pal what? His like name's the... Trenton Cannon. Okay, that's a hello. That's like that's great. That's like a Madden auto draft name, and he's like in the fifth yeah. round, and like that's like they they're trying to hint that he's going to be like a Hall of Fame running back. Anyway, all right, TK. Let's get to uh, streamer starting lineup. Uh, yeah. If we were forced to make a starting lineup of guys owned in under fifty ish percent of leagues. Even after waivers went through on Wednesday, who are we going to pick up? Uh, I'm riding with Baker Mayfield. I've been on the Browns. Mm-hmm. They have are in the middle of this crazy st- schedule stretch, which is kind of like stackable. Right now, they're going against the Steelers' defense this week. Todd Haley revenge game because the first game they played was like just massive downpour. So I think, that, and now he's playing with Baker instead of Tarod. So Mr. Yeah. Mr. Taylor, and uh, I think this is going to be the real passing attack he wants to go. Baker, I, we talked about has just seems to have a huge floor. In terms of yeah. at least his rushing, I mean, he really just didn't play well last week. I was super disappointed and still ended up with like 20 fantasy points and had a really good game um, on paper. So right. I think he's just really safe. And again, I really am not confident in Steelers' ability to cover or tackle. Uh, I think it's a great yards after the catch game. We'll see if Callaway, Antonio Callaway can actually catch any deep passes. But I'm very optimistic about Baker this week. I'm just waiting for him to finally put up like 30 because I picked him up after his first game. and I was like, okay. This is the future, but he, he's been a little bit hit and miss. I think this week could be a breakthrough for him. Uh, at the running back position, Raheem Mostert, the 49ers, going up against the Cardinals. Who's Mostert? Yeah, Mostert. He must start. No, I made that um, again. He's been good. I mean, he's looked fast. He's, he's a, a very explosive runner. Matt Breida is banged up at the moment. We don't really know what his status is going forward. Alfred Morris has been basically worthless um, as a runner. And so I like the I like him as a streamer potential. Um Cardinals have given up the most fantasy points per game to running backs this year. And yeah, I mean they're just it's it's going to be a good game script I think for running the ball for for the 49ers cuz the Cardinals offense is just really struggling. So, um I like him as a potential streamer. The other guy, think about Mike Davis going up against the Lions. Lions uh, defense against the run has been really bad. Um obviously they went and got Snacks Harrison, so that might change things a little bit. And we don't know what the situation with the Seahawks run game is. Uh, full-time Craig's favorite, Rashad Penny, might be more involved in the in the running back rotation going forward. We're not really yeah. sure, but 
So, but right now, I mean, Mike Davis is the clear number two. The Seahawks run the ball a ton, and I just there's enough volume in that run offense to uh, make him a fantasy relevant guy this week. Oh, uh, sorry, you guy just vomited in my mouth a little bit hearing you talk you about Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't hate him. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. Um, he is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just can't look. So, just have my reaction. Uh, moving on. Um, Devontae Booker against the Chiefs. Royce Freeman's likely to sit. Yeah. I don't think this seems like a Philip Lindsay game. Um, yeah, but are they super- going to give him a full, you know, like a full compliment of run? Or are they going to try and like spread it out? That's the question. I don't think Booker is going to go. I think his ceiling is Buck Allen. I, I don't see anything there. Yeah. Martavis Bryant, I'm going to cold water right here. I don't, I have mixed feelings here. So they got rid of Amari Cooper and they don't have Marshawn Lynch. They're coming off a bye. They have had Bryant since they traded for him. I kind of like don't love him actually. I might be a little overrated because I think his name surpassed his talent at this point. At the same time, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if he had a big week this week. And if you really need something and you and you're just you know maybe you have Julio and you have no one else after him, I can see that being a worthy uh, desperation play. But I wouldn't count him going forward to just stepping into a Mari Cooper role. Unless yeah, you lose constant disappointment and unpredictability. So who's catching passes in Oakland besides Jordy Nelson, Jalen Richard? Richard, maybe Jared Cook, but yeah. I, I don't. Well, also, it's not like Mark Cooper was catching passes in Oakland. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like yeah, I don't think that, good games, yeah. there's a there's a, an idea in your mind that he needs to fill. I don't know if there's actually a role big enough to. It's not like Julio Jones left Atlanta. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think if anything, it's there's Seth Roberts is coming back. Maybe you keep an eye on him. The Raiders have the lowest average um, pass length in the entire NFL. Like That's Derek, why Jalen Richard is valuable. Exactly, it's 34 qualified passers. And Derek Carr is last by like a good amount, six point oh six or something. I just um, think of Brian as like imagine a more frustrating player than Amari Cooper. Straight up, the two most frustrating <laughs> receivers and Josh Gordon's in there. So those are the three. That, yeah. and what, that's the triumvirate, whatever order you want to put that in. That's the top tier, if you will. All right, moving on. We're going to go to a player that we kind of got burned on last week. Jermaine Curse. We, uh, we. Did, he z- did he have zero catches last week or one? I don't know what it was, but he didn't get involved. Z- nothing. Like, like we or I thought he would. Um, Two targets, still, zero catches. Yeah. Quincy Nunez, Quincy Nunez was still out. Robbie Anderson didn't practice on Thursday because of an ankle injury. Um, I mean, he's still going to be, I think, the slot receiver in that offense. So um, he's a streamable option at this point. Obviously, I'm not as confident as I was last week that he's going to be kind of a, a focal point in that offense. But, you know, I just think last week was a little bit of an outlier. No, I'm with you. If you're really that desperate and you're getting someone who's probably the number one offense, number one pass catcher on their team going forward uh, or at least I mean going into the week that's a pretty solid stream yeah along those lines well opposite lines Vance McDonald against the Browns uh, they didn't see him in week one he wasn't playing nor was Baker uh, or sorry well different teams but I think it's going to be a different kind of matchup this week is what I'm saying so I mm-hmm. understand that it was a very run heavy offense in a run heavy attack James Conner got like a thousand touches I think it's gonna be a very different game this go around um, and Vance McDonald is just great. I think he's like one of their better options. Um, so I, I'm really big on him and Cleveland's had a lot of trouble defending tight ends in the last couple of years. And I think Vance is a good play, man. All right. What's you got a defense for us? Oh yeah. yeah. So the giants have given up, uh, as Lombardi has hit <laughs> at ad nauseum. Uh, it's a little yeah. offensive to be honest. Um, the giants have just been horrible. They should have shredded the Falcons. I think they're just close to just giving up. They just traded away Damon Harrison on defense. It, it's a weird time in their locker room. The Redskins' defensive line is incredible. I mean, they got Jonathan Allen. It's probably maybe the most underrated line in football right now. They've got Jonathan Allen. Um, you know, Ryan Kerrigan is great. Uh, they have uh, Preston Smith, and they are just going to manhandle the Giants' offensive line this week. I really think there's mm. real potential for, like, Sac City and just 
really sad, like, strip fumble <laughs> return touchdowns this week. for Man, they've really grinded you down, haven't they? It's just the love has been beaten out of me, man. It's hard. <laughs> Damn it! It's just, it's just. There's no, ho- there's no. I don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is. I'm, all, I'm all in on Loretta, man. All the love for Loretta. <laughs> what a sad that's, way to end the show. That's yeah, sad. On yeah. that note, all right. No, it's not sad. It's beautiful. Kyle Loretta's the light of my life right now. Um, let's get out of here, decal. See you it, next yeah. week. That's all we got. <laughs> Thanks again to Hotel Tonight. By showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. It's perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, and booking a place with a pool and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now.